Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. This is Pastor Sarah Levecki, and this is the recording of our most recent Sunday sermon. We hope you enjoy. So there's two passages that we're going to be in today, Acts 22 and Acts 26. I want to continue to talk about evidence today. If you were on trial, on trial, would there be enough evidence to fully convict you and sentence you to life in prison or death for being a Christian? And so that's the question you have to ask yourself. Is there enough evidence that you are, in fact, a Christian? So don't worry, this is not going to be a depressing message. I'm just, I'm just asking this because test, the testimony is the collective evidence, or the evidence is the testimony, or together through the testimony there's evidence, or the, based on... We know that God is alive and that Jesus is Lord, not only because we believe the Bible, but we look into your life and see the reality of God in your life. Now, I mentioned this before and I'm going to mention it again. When the Bible mentions something or re-mentions something or tells a story and then retells a story, you have to really understand how important that story is. Now, as a good Pentecostal charismatic who loves the Holy Spirit, I would have thought that they would have retold the story of Pentecost three times. But that's not what Luke did. Luke did not retell the story of Pentecost three times. He retells the story of Paul's conversion three times. The only thing that Luke tells you more about is the actual resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus also has living proof in the transformation of Paul. So the transformation from Saul to Paul is also proof of the resurrection. So we know that Jesus was raised from the dead because we know where some of you came from, (laughs) including myself. We know how we found you. I remember how God found me. I was not searching for God. Just to tell you. God was searching for me. Now, this this thing about Saul, who's going to eventually become Paul through a yes and a lot of pain. What is it? This is just, I'm I'm just, for me, I, I don't know about you. I'm an inquisitive person. When I see something, I have a bunch of questions immediately that fly into my mind. Why did you do that? How did you do that? Is it possible for me to do that? How can I do that? How did you get that? How can I get that? Is it possible there's more? How, how does this, so when I, I'm just saying, when I read this, I'm like, well, what about Saul? Just, just, just for, for a second. What about Saul? Did God look on a man and God looked and peered into that man's heart And God himself said, I'm going to get up off of my throne. God, listen to me. God, Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. What in the world is it about this guy named Saul that would cause Jesus himself, check this out, Jesus to get Jesus The creator of all things. Jesus begotten, not created. Jesus who spoke the world into existence. Jesus who holds all things together by the word of his power. Jesus who's the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus the son of the living God. Jesus the only name under heaven in which men might be saved. That Jesus, what in the world about Saul caused him to say, I'm going to get up off of my throne and I'm going to visit this man and I'm going to apprehend him. What about Saul, what was in the heart of this man? Feel me? What was in the heart of this man that God himself said, I'm going to get off of my throne, I'm going to encounter this man, and I'm going to fully apprehend him into the heavenly calling? 
I, I just, I'm just saying when I read something, I go, what? God? God looked on this man who was a wholehearted man, a man full of zeal, a man of action, not talking. Not talking. Action. 100% fully committed to what he was doing. 100% sincere, completely wrong. <laughs> you can be 100% sincere and 100% wrong. <laughs> you know, so anyway, so Jesus encounters this man, Saul, who eventually is going to become Paul. You guys, we, we talked about that last week, right? He falls on the floor. The glory of Jesus, the light that radiates off of Jesus, shut down Saul's retinas for three days. You know, your eyes can only take certain level of exposure. Are, are you with me? This is why if you drive on Route 80, you know what Route 80 is if you're in New Jersey, you, I, I recommend polarized sunglasses. Because the way the sun hits you when you're going westbound on Route 80 is actually pretty intense. And light, too much light can impair your vision. Not enough light, you'll stumble and you're lost. So Jesus is too much. Your physical body, let me say this to you, your physical body cannot handle the glory of Jesus. You will come undone. People are like, oh, I saw Jesus. Jesus talked to me. I spoke to an angel. Listen to me. If you have an encounter with an angel of the Lord or Jesus, the fear of God will grip you so strongly that whatever, whatever ideas in your head, whatever know in your mind, whatever you think you are or, or not, that will vanish if you see him. The know in your spirit will vanish all the excuses will vanish. You will be gripped by the reality of the living God. Gripped. So, God encounters Saul. And now Saul, who is the leader of the pack, Mr. Type A, Zeal. Now he's being carried by the hand, by the people he was leading. Because when Jesus shows up and the kingdom comes, he always reverses and he always makes the first last and the last first. Oh, you think you're the leader, Mr. Saul? You think you're so powerful, Mr. Saul? Great. I'm going to shut down your retinas. You're going to fall on the floor and you're, you're going to not even be able to speak. You're going to be completely disoriented and you're going to learn, number one, that you are not the leader. I'm the leader. That you are not in charge, I'm in charge. That, that you're going to learn humility from the door. This is the first lesson of an encounter with Jesus. Is it brings you into contact with your humanity and with your brokenness. And it produces a deep humility in you that has two desires. To know him and to please him. That's how you know someone is humble. Humble is not, hey brother. <laughs> with doofy sneakers, hey brother. Humble is someone who is gripped by the fact that they need Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is first. And we need people. That, that, that's, that's the spirit of humility. It's not a false, hey, hey, brother. It is actually a deep knowing that you actually do need Jesus. And Jesus actually does deserve the place of Lord, which means first. Are you with me? So he has this encounter, and then remember the people that he came to take and kill and throw in prison? Th then at the end of the chapter, his life is in their hands, and they're letting him down the city wall in a basket. See that ro role reversal? In the, in the beginning, 
Their life is in his hands. He has authority from the chief priests to seize and take the people to prison. He's the reason Stephen was martyred. So he has an authorization. See, religion will authorize you to destroy what Jesus is building. Religion is, if it is not a living relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through the Scripture, in the context of the body of Christ, in the context of walking out the mission of God, it's religion, and it will always war against what God wants to do. The last move of God always wants to kill the next move of God. So if you don't stay current with God, you yourself will be in opposition to the very thing that God wants to do. That's why we have to really guard our hearts because if I don't guard my heart, not only do I become nasty and bitter and mean but I, and cynical and unwilling and, and I find excuses instead of a way, but I also then set myself in opposition to the very thing God wants to do. So instead of me being willing, I have objections. So this is important. So now Paul in Acts 22, he's going, he's going to retell this story, his testimony to the, the Jerusalem mob who is quite angry with him. Now, it's always your own people that are mad at you. So the Romans and the Greeks, they're not trying to kill Saul. It's his own people that want to kill him. The greatest threat to the community is the community. Whoever the community is. The greatest threat to the church is not LGBTQ and or Joe Biden or anyone else. The greatest threat to the church is a lukewarm, compromised church that doesn't burn with fire and passion. And that's the greatest threat to the church. So the greatest threat to the church is you and me, but not under the lordship of Jesus Christ, doing our own thing as if God is not God and we are God. That's the greatest threat to the church. The greatest threat to the test, your testimony is not Satan, it's you. Because you have authority over Satan. What you need to really gain authority over is yourself. Now, Acts 22, brethren and fathers, hear my defense, this is Paul, before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they all kept more silent. He understood, listen to me, he understood how to speak the language of who he was speaking to. You cannot speak to everyone the same way. When I'm here, I will not speak in other places the same way I will speak to you. Because my level of responsibility for those people is not the same as my level of responsibility here. And I speak to people as they're able to hear. There's some things that I can say, but I, I, I've held them for years. Years. And now I'm even better at it, and it doesn't bother me anymore. It used to kill me. You have to learn to speak as people are able to hear. Not compromising your message, but you have to know what language to speak to who you're speaking to. Paul said, I become all things, right, to all people that I might win some. So anyway, then he said, I am indeed a Jew born of Tarsus of Sicilia, brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you are all today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Also, the high priest bears witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. So he says, he's basically saying to them, you know full well who I am, where I came from, what I was about, and what I did. You know full well. See, this is the power of God touching and transforming a human. People can't feel your goosebumps and fire in a room. You could retell Pentecost 9,000 times, but unless they experience the Holy Spirit, they can't feel that. 
But what people can feel, what humans can feel, is when a human looks at them in the face and says, listen, bruh, you know where I came from. You know what I was about. You know what I did. And look what God did. That's why the testimony is so powerful because you can't argue with the testimony. What are you going to say to Jerry Savelle when he flies in his jet to the next city? You think he cares what you think? You can't argue with the testimony. When God establishes someone, when God does something to someone, you think that they're sweating someone's opinion? They don't care. Because they know who transformed their life. They know whose they are and they know who they are because they know Him. So He's telling these folks, you know full well, New Jersey language, who I am and where I came from. But now it happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone round about me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. So, the way you treat the body of Christ determines how you feel about Jesus. So Jesus takes it very personal if you use or abuse or misuse the body of Christ. So, so if you hurt people within the church, Jesus takes that personally. So that means that when I speak to you, treat you, talk to you, and think about you, I have to think about that in the context of who is your father. That's why people in the, people in the street, you, you have to be very careful because you, you can do something to someone and you don't know who their father is. You could wind up in a trunk getting thrown into a wood chopper because you mouthed off to someone and you don't know who their daddy is. Now, I know that that was very extreme there, but I had to give you an extreme example because you don't know. Saul didn't know who their daddy was. He thought Satan was their daddy. He thought that they were opposing God when, in fact, he was opposing God. See how deception works? Deception has you convinced... That you're right when you're wrong. Now God, for some reason, I don't know God, but he's, I, I don't know why he's so good, but God has compassion on Saul because God knows the end of Saul if Saul doesn't repent. So the compassion of God is not just for the guy who needs food or water filter. The compassion of God is not just for the oppressed, but it's also for the oppressor because God knows what will be when he, when he settles the accounts and when he serves justice. And that is eternal. So God looked on him with compassion and with mercy because somehow in this twisted mind of his, there was sincerity deep in his heart. I don't know about you, but I want to be so sincere that God is willing to get off of his throne to come and disturb me to apprehend me and redirect me because he sees something in me that is wholehearted. You know what we're singing that song? Everything. You know why I like that song? Because that song is what our life should look like. When you do something, it, it should be with everything. That's what I like about Brett. When Brett shakes your hand, you know you just shook a man's hand. He, there's intention. I look forward to him. I believe every, every day, every, I look forward. Because someone is doing something wholeheartedly. We live in a generation of people that doesn't do anything wholeheartedly. We're fully distracted. At the gym. Bro, everyone is distracted and the opposite of discernment is distraction. I cannot be sharp and on point if I'm distracted. 
Anyway, where are we? <laughs> I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Verse 9, And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him that spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do? And he said, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all the things which you are appointed to do. Let me just, let's just get this straight. The kingdom of God is not a democracy, and the board, the board is not voting on what Saul is going to do. <laughs> Jesus is the executive, and he's making an executive decision. He's not consulting with the apostles and saying, Hey guys, do you think it's good for our press and for our public, you know, our public, how people view us? Because we've got to really watch out. No, Jesus doesn't ask the board's permission. He apprehends Paul and says, you're going to have to learn to live with this guy. And that same guy is going to straighten some of you guys out later. That's another message. He says, I will tell you the things you need to do. I want, I want to tell you this. This is a very important thing because when God speaks to you, God is not asking you. I know that we're living in a culture where we feel like nobody can tell us nothing and we're independent and this and that and la la la. But you have to shake that ghetto mentality and that, that, that idea that disdains authority and will refuse correction and will refuse instruction. And you have to humble yourself and ask the Lord, what is it that you have appointed me to do? Because when you understand that, there's favor, there's confidence, there, there's direction, there's clarity. So I'm not here to do what you're supposed to do or to make you happy. I'm here to do what God appointed me to do. And I want to support you in what God has appointed you to do. And I want to help equip you and encourage you. And let's help each other and let's walk forward together in what God has appointed us to do. If you have two people that are fully committed to what God has appointed them to do, it is very difficult to fight. This is why we don't fight in my house. My wife and I do not fight because we are committed to what we're appointed to do. So when, when you are going forward like that, it is difficult to fight. I mean, maybe you, I could probably find a reason, but she doesn't have a reason because she, he's not a problematic person. So this is important because, let me say something to you, if you don't work out personality quirks, you will not be able to work with certain people, which means you will rob yourself of the blessing of who they are and who you could become if you don't learn to work with people and communicate with people that are different than you. So, and, and, and it's not easy. The, the church is not going to have an easy time with Saul. Because God is going to apprehend him. And once that happens, he, then he's going to go through a process. A lot of pain and, and some time. But he's going to come to town and he's going to set order. That's what apostles do. They set things in order. People who don't like order don't like me people that want to do their own thing don't like me people that want to do don't want to do what the word of god says don't read the bible people that don't want to do the will of god don't read the bible why read the word of god if you don't want to do the will of god i encourage you if you don't want to do the will of god i would stay out of the bible really i, I would get a podcast or something or, or a youtube pastor because if you read the bible Listen to me. If you read the Bible, the Bible will call you into account. I'm reading the Bible. I mean, the Bible doesn't care about my feelings. The Bible doesn't care. Oh, poor Adam, you're tired from homeschool. The Bible, you open the Bible, the Bible calls you into account. That's why people do not read the Bible and do not want to get into the Bible because the Bible will transform their will and they want what they want. But this doesn't address what I want. <laughs> 
but I've learned, here's how here's I've learned. I learned that if I do what you want, somehow, I don't know how. This is what I really don't know how. I wish I had a formula. I write a book. Somehow, some way, things work out better for me when I do what he wants. Honest to God. I really mean it. And so I just said, we'll, we'll do it this way. All right. Verse 12, then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there. You see that? He had a good testimony with all the Jews. Your testimony is what people say about you when you're not there. Interesting. 13, came to me. And said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And I looked at him that hour, at him, and he said, God, the God of our fathers, has chosen that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. See, I, I cannot bear witness of what you saw or what you heard. I can only bear witness to what I've seen and what I've heard. That means that your testimony requires experience. You, you have to seek after the Lord. Like you have to seek to obey the Lord or you have no testimony. Because faith plus obedience equals testimony. Without testimony, you don't have anything to share. One of the things that happened to me, I forgot about telling you guys, my elbow got healed. I forgot to tell you that. My elbow got supernaturally healed in a meeting and... Uh, I was like, you know what, let me, get let me give this time because I want to make sure this is real. Like, I'm not into faking. So I'm like, you know, like, I'm not going to give you a courtesy fall either. Like, if you see me on the floor, that was the Holy Ghost because I'm not into the fakeness. And uh, so I was in a meeting. Sarah was doing worship. And uh, this old uh, evangelist guy calls out a word of knowledge. He said, there's someone with a problem in your right elbow. I said, ooh, that's me. And, and, I, and I moved it, and I'm like, and I was like, <laughs> something's different, like, you know. And then I decided to put 407 pounds on it, and I realized, man, it's different. Something's different, and it's great, so there's no more pain. And it was weird because I could press with it, but if I put a book bag on, it hurt. Or if I leaned down like this, it hurt. But I could press heavy with it. So your body is... And, and so I realized I got healed. I didn't tell you that. So anyway, that was a testimony. That was something that the Lord did. Now, let me just say this to you. Do you think I care if someone goes, I don't believe that. Healing is not for today. Okay. Mr. Not for today. I have a video. Do you like videos? I have a video of my elbow shaking. Under 380 pounds is shaking, and under 407 pounds is solid. So I don't know what you believe or don't believe, but I have actual proof that my elbow is not the same, and how you feel about my elbow doesn't matter. What matters is how my elbow feels about my elbow. Are, are, are you tracking with me? That's the power of a testimony. Testimonies, guess what? Testimony builds history. When I think of the faithfulness of God, the psalmist said that your testimonies are my counselors. I don't take counsel from CNN or from anywhere. I take counsel from the Word of God, from the Spirit of God, from wise people of God. But the testimonies of the Lord are my counselors. When I think of the faithfulness of God, when I'm in a, in a position where i got to make a decision... I think about his faithfulness and I choose to be faithful past the point of what I feel in the moment and I walk forward in spite of the resistance and then all of a sudden a testimony happens and now I'm feeling better again. Why? Because now I experience the reality of God. What am I building? History. What am I building? Confidence in who? Him, not me. See, that, that's the thing about a testimony. It's how, it's one of the ways we overcome. There's three ways. The Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. 
the blood of the lamb did not die to produce losers. I'm sorry. Jesus did not shed his blood for us to be victimized losers who don't have victory and don't have freedom. How can I bring breakthrough to a world if I don't have breakthrough? How can I tell people God will take care of you if I don't have confidence that God will take care of me? You cannot give, this is not a Visa card, American Express. You cannot give what you don't have. You cannot make a donation with a credit card fronting like you have money. <laughs> That's not how the kingdom works. All right. Verse 15, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. Ananias is talking pretty straight to this guy. Did you notice that? that this is a commonality. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you how you know I'm not manipulating you. You know that I'm not manipulating you because I talk straight to you. If I was trying to manipulate you, I would be lighter and sweeter. I don't want to manipulate you. I want you to be free. If you're free, you'll do more than you can manipulate out of someone. That was free. And now, one of the commonalities of someone who God has dealt with, dealt with, the hand of the Lord has come upon someone, and <laughs> you see, when you have kids, when they come at you, sometimes you got to go like that and just get them a little bit lower because they, they just try to get you. When the hand of the Lord has come upon someone mightily and they have faced the pressing, humility is in them. But when humility is in someone, honesty comes forth from them. They are not dishonest for selfish gain. They are not disingenuous, but they are honest. Why? Because it's part of having integrity. I'm going to stand before God. God is going to say, did you prepare my people for a wedding? Not did you make them feel good. Did you prepare them for a wedding? Did you beautify a bride? Did you lead them to do righteous acts? Because the saints are clothed not in beliefs, but in the righteous acts of the saints. So the Lord is going to say, did you beautify my bride? Were you honest with them? Or did you tell them they were beautiful when they looked like Raggedy Ann? I'm not going to do that. 17, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. In other words, he... So, Peter was in a trance. He was getting ready for lunch and <laughs> had a trance. You know, and, uh, and so now Paul is in church. He's in, in, the, in the church building here, the temple. And he's, he, he goes into a trance. I want to show you what he saw. This is Jesus. This is red letters. I don't know if you have a Bible or, or a phone. This is red letters. Let me provide this for the viewers here. This is an actual Bible. See that? Red letters. Isn't that beautiful? Something about holding a Bible. Feel powerful. So anyway, this is Jesus speaking. He says this, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly. Oh. <laughs> For they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Let me tell you one of the things God is not doing. God is not leading you to people that will not receive the testimony. Some of you have wasted too much time with people that do not receive you. I don't do it. I'd rather you not, actually. You can go somewhere else, no problem. I would rather get on a plane, honest to God, put my headphones on, and fly 16 hours to God knows where, in the middle of nowhere, to people who receive the testimony versus trying to twist the arm of someone who has no interest in changing. 
I would rather be inconvenienced and I would rather figure out how to do it than waste my time with people that have no interest in repenting and changing. When God loves someone, God watches out for that person's interests. This is why I want to be, I don't know about you, I want to be God's friend. <laughs> I think, I don't know who your friends are. <laughs> it's like, I want to be in a group text with God. <laughs> I want all the notifications. You can disrupt my sleep, which he did the other night. He disturbed me so deeply. I, 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 my sleep was, I was, I was disoriented, which doesn't happen to me ever. But if it's God, I want it. I'm just telling you. If it's God, if it's real, I want it. I, I, I want someone like God to say, you know what? <laughs> They're not going to listen to you. Go somewhere else. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. You see this earlier in Acts 16 where Paul wants to go to Asia, right? Now, here's, here's the thing. If, you, if you're looking for a biblical proof text to do what you want to do, you'll find one. The Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel everywhere. Paul could have said, hey, Jesus, the Bible says go everywhere. So I'm, I'm going here. The Lord said, don't go to Asia. There was a man in Macedonia praying that he would come to him. I would rather let the Lord redirect me to the people that are praying that I come than waste my time with people that don't value my life and my time. Stop spending your life and time with people that don't receive you. Stop it. Don't do it. Your life is too valuable. Don't waste your time. Listen, if you waste money, you can get money back. If you waste time, you can't get time back. God can redeem an opportunity, but that time, which has a ticker on it, you, you and I have a shot clock. Your life has a shot clock. My life has a shot clock. You're not getting that back. That's what people don't realize. People have this obsession with money, not knowing that that's not the real thing. The real thing is time. More money doesn't mean you have more time. Sometimes more money means you'll have less time. John Maxwell says we spend our whole life getting money and we spend all of our money trying to get our health back. Don't wait until you have a heart attack to care about your health. Take care of yourself. No one is going to do it for you. That's your responsibility. No one's going to take care of you. No one's going to do your quiet time. No one's going to read the word for you. you. You got to do that. Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Jesus knows they are not going to listen to you. Get out. I don't know about you. I'm just saying, I'm just sharing my heart just for a minute since I have the microphone. I want, I'm going to say this again because I want this to get it, I want you to get this in your head and in your heart and then start to decide from this place. I want God to look out for my interests, for the interests of my family. You ever have someone that really cares about you and go, hey, I, I want to I share something with you. Okay, what is that, brother? Well, I think if you do this and this, it really puts you in a good position. And I, I don't really stand anything to gain from this because I don't really need anything. But I'm just giving you some insight and, and some wisdom that would help position you for the future. Do you like that? I like that. This is God, man. Every time God speaks to you, God is trying to position you for the plans that he has for you. Now, the enemy has a plan for you, too. By the way, his plan is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come, this Jesus said, that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Now, that word, I don't know about you, that word triggers me. I get triggered by that. You know triggers? Everyone's triggered? The word abundance triggers me. 
my antenna goes woof, all the way up, it shoots all the way up, like woo. The abundance, you know what that means? More than enough. Not like, oh, how am I going to pay for this? Which card am I going to pay for this with? So, so abundance triggers me because we're not fighting for scraps when there's abundance. People's mind is infected with lack. But when Jesus invites us to the table, into the abundant life, into the life in his kingdom, there's no lack or there's no shortage. So it's not like, well, I got joy for Brett, but I don't really have any for Tina today because, you know, she's kind of out on the joy. God is like, man, I got joy for all of you guys. I got peace for all of you guys. I got, there is enough food at my table. There is enough room in my house. So now I'm not approaching life like an orphan. Oh my God, I got to get enough. What about me? What about me? No, no, no. There's abundance. Abundance. Do you understand what abundance is? It means that you cannot exhaust it. I like that. I mean, maybe you don't like that. I know Mary likes that. So I mean, abundance. Abundance. I mean, abundance where? In your pocket, in your heart, in your mouth, in your home, in your life, in your closet. Abundance. You want that? I want that. Overflow. You ever get around someone who has lack? Oh, my Jesus. Woo! 30 minutes with you. My phone is in the red. I'm beeping. Like, charge me. Oh, I got pain. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I got problems. Oh, I got a situation. Dear Jesus, five minutes with you, I feel like I'm dying. Versus someone who is abundant. Look what God's saying. Look what God's doing. Look what we're up to. Look what he's up to. Look at the movement. Check this out. I got this coming in the mail. Hey, I got abundance. Maybe you don't, I mean, it's Christmas time. There's no better time. Make haste and get out of Jerusalem. See, God is looking out for the people that are about his interests. My God, I'm trying to give you something, Jesus. So now, <laughs> I feel like throwing the microphone and running out of here. I, I mean, Jesus is saying, this guy saw, he, he's becoming Paul. He is about my interests. So I am interested in him. <laughs> Yo, are you, are you feeling me? Like God himself is saying, I am interested in what concerns you because you are interested in what concerns me. <sighs> All right. So I said, Lord, here, 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 he doesn't get it yet. He's still learning. He has an answer still. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart. It's like, I don't think you're getting this. Like, He's very committed. Like, he's so committed, he's like arguing with the Lord. Like, he's like, he's like, you don't understand this God. Like, it's like, yes, he does. Depart. It's like, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Far. Say far. Far. You know what? One of the things I, I have noticed, sometimes the farther you get from home, the more you see, and the more people value you. See, we've got to break that because that is not a culture of honor. These are unregenerate Jews who are not receiving the very thing that will save them. See, we, we, you, you, you have to break that spirit of dishonor and not receiving what is for you. You know who they're robbing? Themself. You know who they rob? Themself. When you don't receive who God sends, guess who you rob? Yourself. 
I learned that if people are not faithful, God will be faithful. That's why I talk straight. Anyway, Paul uses his Roman privilege. We like privilege nowadays. He uses his privilege. Some people don't like it. They're upset about it. They're upset about everything. And Paul uses his Roman privilege, his citizenship, to say, take me to Caesar, and I'm going to appeal to Caesar. Now, you're going to see in the next... Oh, no. I can't do that to you. Actually, I should. <laughs> Acts 26. We're going to do this quick, though. This is Paul. He's recounting his testimony. This is the third time. While thus occupied... As I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest at midday, O king, he's talking to Festus, Agrippa rather, and Festus is going to come too, so there's two kings here. I saw light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around, and those who journeyed with me, and when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me. In the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard to kick against the goads. It's hard to kick against a metal spike. You will hurt yourself. God looks at what Paul is doing, and God's interpretation of Paul is, Paul, you're going to hurt yourself opposing me. Do not set yourself up against me. I don't know about you. I'm just telling you. I'm being honest with you, as honest as I can. I want God fighting for me, not fighting against me. I don't want to fight God. I want God to be like, I got his back. I'm protecting his interest. That's my boy. This is what I want. I don't know about what you want. I'm just telling you what I want. Because when God protects your interests and he does things for you, there's favor. There's places that his hand can go and his spirit can go that I cannot go. So I said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, that I may make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and the things which I uh, will reveal to you. See that? The things that God reveals to you is also part of your testimony. Deuteronomy says the things that God reveals to us belong to us and our children. That's why if you, you got to blaze a trail in the kingdom because it will affect your children. Who your daddy is does matter. I will deliver you from the Jewish people. <laughs> I will deliver you from the church, folks. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, the pagans. To whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power or from the authority of Satan to God. So this is powerful because when your eyes are open, watch me. When your eyes are open, you are coming under, you are coming out from under the authority of Satan, under the authority of God, which is true freedom. So Satan goes, man, do what you want. You're free. And, and, you know, you see people making a fool of themselves. That's not freedom. That's going to lead to shame and pain and bondage. The, and, but when your eyes are open, you come out of that and you come into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. You come into the inheritance, the family name, the house. The ring with the signet, the robe, you got some sandals on your feet. You have authority and you have abundance. And you come out from the grip of the enemy. That's good news to me. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness uh, to light, from the power of God, from the power of Satan to the power of God. Watch this. That they may receive the forgiveness of, of sins and an inheritance... I'm triggered again. Bing, 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 bing. Triggered. Why? An inheritance. Do you know what an inheritance is? It's something I didn't earn. You like that? I like that. Do you want to live by the sweat of your brow? That's not the kingdom. 
I'd be happy to inherit some stuff. People are like, I'm done with privilege. I'll take more privilege, and I will use it with responsibility. And I'll be happy while I do it. I'm into inheritance. Are you into inheritance? I want my kids to have an inheritance. The Bible says that a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That means that a righteous man can see two generations into the future and make decisions now that affect the future. I'm into inheritance. But who is it for? Those who are being sanctified. Uh-oh. You got to get a hold of your sexuality, your mouth, your body, your life. Because the inheritance is for those who are sanctified. So God is, 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 is not giving things to people that will abuse them or misuse them. But he's giving it to those who have set their life apart for him. The beauty of a marriage is, is, is exclusivity. Once it's no longer exclusive, it does not have the same value. See, this is, this is, this is important. You can, you can regain the testimony, but you have to really guard yourself. I'm going to give you a few more verses. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, uh-oh, and turn to God and do works befitting of repentance. In other words, show that you have repented by a change of action. Very simple. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. <laughs> this guy is trying to set them up for a future, for the forgiveness of sins, and for an inheritance, and they want to kill him. Paul said, am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? He is really trying to help these folks. They can't see it. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both small and great, saying, no other things than those which the prophets of Moses said would come, that Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. 24. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has driven you mad. But he said, I am not mad. He corrected him. I am not mad. Most noble Festus. He respectfully corrected him. You got to learn how to do that, especially when you're speaking to people in authority. You have to learn how to respectively check them. Okay, but he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. In other words, this is the truth and it makes sense. The truth makes sense. You know what doesn't make sense? Lies. Lies have made a generation of people delusional. You know the word of the year is woman? I mean, this is, this is how, Johnny, we have, people have lost, people don't even know what that is. But uh, Johnny needs help. So, so people have lost their minds. That's what lies do. It makes people crazy. All right. I got to get off that or we'll never end this here. We're going to fly this plane right into the, <laughs> right into the cliff. Yeah. But, but it's all right. We flew. So, so anyway, verse 26. For the king before whom I also speak freely. See that? I speak freely. He's letting them know straight up. I'm a free man. <laughs> Paul is wild. He knows that these things, for I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this was not done in the corner. He's saying, I know that you see what's happening because Jesus wasn't raised from the dead in some corner somewhere. He walked through a city in real life, by the way. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know. Uh, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? He's going to indict him now. Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Now he's appealing to his reason. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. He didn't even ask him. You know what's speaking to him? His conscience. And Paul said, I would 
to God that not only you, but all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am. <laughs> except for these chains. Paul said, I wish you'd become just like me, except for these chains. Not only you, but everyone who's here today listening. But you, you, you better be real sure of yourself, real sure of yourself, if you say you should be like me. You better be real clean and real sure if you tell someone that they should be like you. So I just wanted to let you know that. Because he, he's very bold. He is in chains, but he's free. See that? Some people are free, and they're in chains. <laughs> we live in a generation of people who have not been victimized, but feel like they're victims. <laughs> it's like, it's wild. This is a wild time to live. So anyway... All right. When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice, and those who sat with him. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, this man, this is, their, this is the testimony of Paul. This is what they are testifying about him. This is important. This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Jesus, Paul, the martyrs, they were innocent. This is very, very important. These are the people who are in a position of authority. They, are, they, are, they have the responsibility to discern and to govern and to make choices that are a reflection of what is true and what is right. And they are saying, this man has done nothing wrong. That's the testimony about Paul. He is not in the wrong. Very important. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Now, this, this is important because Paul is using his U.S. passport or his Roman citizenship to appeal to Caesar because his mission is not his freedom and it's not his security. It's not his safety, but his mission. He is sent to kings to bear witness of the kingdom. See how that works? He is more committed to the mission than his own life. They overcame him by the word of their testimony, the blood of the lamb, and they loved not their lives even unto death. If you are afraid to die, you are not ready to live. Fear is the thing that inhibits people from doing anything or finding out what they could do. People say, I'm scared to squat. I don't want to squat. I'll hurt my back. So I'll stay on a leg press. You will never get from a leg press what you'll get from a squat. And fear is robbing you of what is called absolute strength. The same way... The fear of getting hurt, the fear of being misunderstood, the fear of being judged, the fear of persecution, that will rob you of who you could become in the kingdom if you live from that fear. The fear of the unknown. What will I eat? Where will I stay? These are the things that the Gentiles or the pagans focus on. Focus on your father seeking the kingdom. Focus on the mission. More will happen for you as you focus on the mission. If you focus on your own comforts, your own security, and your own safety, you will rob yourself of who God wants to be to you if you say yes to him. People have to have it all figured out before you go. Where are we going? I'm not really sure. <laughs> I don't know. How are we going to get there? I don't know. I hope a bus. You know, like there's, there's some things I don't fully know. <laughs> and I'm okay with not knowing. Why? Because I built the history. I have a history that if I get thrown in the middle of nowhere, I know who I am and I know who I'm with. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that. When someone is not worried about something, they live differently. There is a level of freedom that comes with trust. 
There is a level of freedom that comes with trust that does not come any other way. And that trust only happens as you're faithful to God. You obey God. God shows himself faithful to you. You build a history with him and his testimonies are your counselors. So based on the faithfulness of God, what God has done, what he has said. So I am navigating where I am because he has been with me through it all. He's not going to leave me for, nor forsake me. He's too big for me to miss him as long as I focus on him I'm good so Paul his life's ambition wasn't freedom wasn't money I'm just really doing this to just get financial security so I can do whatever I want in Jesus name cute that's not going to work you're going to get destroyed and crushed until you're really humble and then your life is then he burns out all the dross so then you can be a steward he burns out all the mammon, so then you can, and then and when you do that, more comes to you. It's pretty wild. So, so I, I'm just, God does something in our heart so that we are not independent, but we are, as Abner says, dependently wealthy. I am dependently wealthy because of who my father is, and I am rich in dependency. <laughs> Yeah, like some people have like a little, like, I need God to do this. I need it. <laughs> like, you leave me alone for three minutes, I'm going to destroy the whole house. Like, my son, like, I need, I am fully dependent. Like, some people, you know, like, they're kind of independent. He can live in, like, like, you know, justice. He can leave him there all day. He's just doing his thing, reading books. Like, you leave that little guy out, and, and you, you, don't, you don't know what could be the result of his freedom. Well, that little guy represents me because I am that little guy and I need the Lord to watch over me and I am rich in dependency. Rich. I, don't, I have more dependency than I have cash. But guess what? When you're dependent, you have access to everything you need. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm going to preach. I've already preached myself happy. I'm happier. i got to tell you, I'm happier right now than when I came in here today. I don't know about you. I used to come to church and leave so tired and angry, and now I leave happier. I'm just happy. I don't know if you're happy, but I'm happy. I'm happy with you. I love you. And when I say something hard, I want you to feel this for a second. If I say something that stings... It is because I'm trying to prevent you from pain that lasts longer and is more detrimental than a temporary sting of readjusting. Because the readjustment and the alignment is, is what will get your spine ready for pressure. See, I'm not very smart, but I know one thing. If your spine is not aligned correctly... Just a little bit of pressure can really hurt you. That's why you can see a grown big old man, like a big animal, he, you know, he, he moves the wrong way, he'd be on the floor crying. All, all that is is just a little bit of pressure with misalignment. Man, you align that thing, that thing can take a lot of weight, a lot of weight. You'd be surprised the human frame how much it can take if it's aligned and trained and prepared for pressure. So I'm, all I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help align you and prepare you for pressure because in the days ahead, listen to me, in the days ahead there's going to be pressure on you. If you succeed and do everything that God has for you and you become a rock star Christian, amazing, there's going to be even more pressure on you. If you become dependently wealthy, where you can make moves for the kingdom, and you can write a check that will change someone's life, guess what? There's going to be even more pressure on you. So guess what? you got to learn how to handle the pressure. Well, if we don't align ourselves with the Word... We will buckle 
under pressure. When we buckle under pressure, guess what we throw away? Guess, hey, ding, 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 the testimony. All right, we're done. That was a hostage, a full hostage. Brad encouraged me. So, <laughs> all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down to really show you I'm done. I'm going to put on my nice praying voice, my pastoral voice. I do it for like two minutes. Lord, I just thank you so much for loving us and be committed. You're so committed to just walking with us. And so we thank you for that. And we pray that our life would produce a real testimony showing through the scriptures and through our life that Jesus is the Son of God and he can be fully trusted. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.